And we are back. This is Mike Cernovich from Danger and Play and Gorilla Mindset. You know, I was wondering, should I get one of those, like, intro musics? You know, you're listening in and, are you ready? Not really my style. Let me know what you think. But this is an Ask Me Anything podcast. I posted on my Twitter, Ask Me Anything. So we'll do some personal stuff, life, business, web, book, all kinds of stuff. So we'll do a lot. Also, question for you, so I will ask you anything. I'm thinking about starting a radio show. Part news, part mindset, part, you know, guests, having guests on, part commentary. Sort of like I, I did an episode with Gavin McGuines. McGinnis, I always mispronounce his name, and people loved it. What do you think? What do you think? I might do, I might do that. Let me know what you think at dangerplay.com. All right, questions. What this is from Twenties Mentor. What daily habits do you have at the moment? I don't really have a highly structured daily daily routine like maybe I used to have. I'm sort of in the zone now. But generally, I wake up, take my nootropics and other um, anti-aging medications. Medications are not medications; they're um, just over the counter. And then contrast shower. Well, that's being done. Shauna's makes my coffee. Come out. I drink a cup of coffee, and then I go work. Usually work out of a cafe. Sometimes I'll work out of my apartment. And then I work. Um, write for my blog. Write for Twitter. Write for Danger and Play. And if I had a... And then I just do that all day. Then I go to the gym. And then I... Whatever. Wind down at night. Often it means more writing. You know, maybe have sex sometimes, you know, that kind of thing. Now, if I had a weakness, a big weakness in my structure, and I were auditing my own life, and I was saying, here's what you need to do to make more money. This would make more money. I, I give away a ton of content, and it's easy to rationalize that as well. I'm building a platform, right? My Twitter is getting now over 40 million Views a month. That, that's a lot. My profile, just a Twitter forward slash, you know, Cernovich, 1.8 million views this month it'll get. Maybe 2 million. So my brand awareness is boom. Gorilla Mindset Book Sales, everything is great. But I I could write a book while still doing that, while still balancing it. So what I would what I would tell myself is, and this is what you got to do in your own life, you know, there's a point you reach a diminishing return on anything you do in life, whether it's going to the gym, um, going to build your web platform, friendships with people, relationships with people. I am at the point of where I, you know, getting that much bigger in certain areas isn't going to translate into other areas. So what I would tell myself is be more structured in when I write and the forms I write for. I should write for Danger Play on Monday. And Sunday because those are the two biggest traffic days. You always want, if you have a website, you always want new, fresh content Sunday, Monday. Why? Because if you guys didn't have jobs, I wouldn't have a job. On, on a Saturday, none of you are listening to the podcast. I'm still going to release this, but you're not reading websites. You're out living life. But Sunday night before work, Monday while you're at work, that is the big traffic days. So Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday a little bit. I would post that new original content, Danger Play. And then Thursday and Friday, when traffic is terrible, I would write only for books, right? 
That way I would keep getting the high traffic to Danger Play, the high traffic to Twitter, but write more books. So there you go. Speaking of which, my Trump book, boy, it's almost done. I'm going to do a whole podcast on writing books if you want one. Do you want to know how to write a book, how I go about writing a book? I can tell you that. You're going to love it even if you hate Trump. That's what's great. The Trump book is three parts, sociopolitical, marketing, and mindset, right? Sociopolitical, I don't really care that much about. I just threw it in there so people kind of understand politics in America. For those of you who don't follow politics or for those of you who don't live in the U.S., it'll give you a sense of what's going on with like nationalism, globalism, and this alt-right stuff, all this weird stuff. But that is, to me, eh, the least interesting part of the book because thousands of people write about politics. There are people writing, you know, Fox Day writes great stuff on nationalism. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos and Alam Bukhari, they write great articles on the alt-right. They write these great articles, okay? But the mindset, nobody's writing mindset stuff like I do, which is kind of like life advice for those of you listening. Find what it is that you do better than everyone else and do that. There are a lot of things I could do. I could be a lawyer. There are a lot of great lawyers, though. Even if I were a great lawyer, I still wouldn't be the greatest lawyer. But right now, I am the greatest of what I do. Part mindset and lifestyle, part news, part just scalping motherfuckers, right? Nobody's doing what I'm doing, period, right? But that's not to say that I'm great because that's just what I'm the greatest at. If I were just doing something else, I would be mediocre. If I had a YouTube fitness channel, I would be mediocre. If I had any kind of, you know, if I had a how to meet women thing, I would be like good, but I would never be the best. Find what you're great at. That's what you want to do. So the Trump thing, a little bit on politics, not too much. But his marketing and mindset, nobody but me. Everybody's lying now, plagiarizing me all the time. They're plagiarizing Scott Adams, but he's a nice guy. I, you know, I just, I actually call people out for plagiarizing Scott Adams just because one, I like the drama. Two, I think he kind of appreciates it because he is more, you know, he's got a real mainstream brand. I mean, he's got a real world famous brand. His personal brand isn't consistent with just being mean to people, even if they deserve it, but my brand is. And I don't know, I think it's wrong. Just give people credit. So Adams kind of has the persuasion, the hypnosis stuff done, and I do write about him. And I talk to him for the Trump book, you know, his take on the persuasion, more stuff that you haven't read anywhere. And then the media, right? Media, marketing, the mindset. Nobody else has written about that. People are all copying me now, but get it from the original. So you're going to love the Trump book, and it'll, it'll be out. You know, I, I think I'm going to finish it today and tomorrow, get it to my editor, and then we'll go into pre-launch sequence too. You know, I have the whole marketing structure for the book laid out. It isn't random. It isn't random why I sell a lot of books and way more than these so-called brand gurus. All these people think they know so much about marketing. Maybe you know some of these people. But if you look at the Amazon sales rank of Gorilla Mindset versus these supposed gurus, even gurus who have been around longer than me too, keep in mind, I haven't been around that long. I outsell them. Because I know marketing better than they do. Next question is, this is a quick one. If you were to start a new podcast, would you use SoundCloud or Lib, Libsyn? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use SoundCloud. I would use Libsyn. If you don't know what that means, I don't, I'm not going to bore people to death about how to do a podcast. Figure it out for yourself. But Libsyn is definitely better than SoundCloud. 
And that was from Ed Trigger, 52 and 52 weeks. Um, one guy says, a deal. What has been your favorite place to live, visit so far? I think I did a whole YouTube video on this, and I put it this way. There is no perfect place for you to live, and you become very picky. There, There's a line between you know finding a good place and finding a great place to live. Okay, so I really liked Paris because I love the culture, big, huge, walkable cities, ancient structures. There's a big river, uh, museums everywhere, but it's crowded, and... It has been invaded by migrants who don't like white people, and especially me when I grow my hair, I look a little bit – I actually look a little bit Jewish. So I started this internet meme because a lot of my followers are these alleged anti-Semites. I don't want to get you guys into the podcast. is anti-drama. But just by, by way of backstory, when I when I, my hair grows out, there's a natural curl to it, and I look a little bit Jewish. So when I would grow my hair out in Paris and I'd go through some of these districts, man, I would get mean mugged. And I'm thinking, geez, I'm you know, 6'1". 210, 220, <laughs> and I don't walk around, you know, smiling all the time. And the, I, I got the vibe. They were thinking if they could, if they could make a move, they would. They were just too afraid. So I didn't like that, right? Um, hard to get good time massages. So you're thinking, hard to get good time massages. What are you talking about? Well, when you live everywhere, you you kind of you find things that you like about one place, but not every place has it. Now, close to that would be. I'm a real big fan of Budapest, Hungary. If I were going to live in Europe again, or if I were, if I had to live in one city for the rest of my life, uh, Budapest, Hungary would probably be up there. Why? Okay, cost of living is one third of what you would pay in New York or LA, but you still get big city amenities. There's a Thai immigrant population, so you can get fantastic Thai massages, 10, 15 bucks, right? Maybe 20 bucks for a 90 minute massage. The food is classic Mike Cernovich meat and potatoes type. Goulash, stews, uh, meat platters. It's, it's great food. Big, huge, walkable structures, places that you can walk around. Uh, beautiful women. They have a little bit of a cafe culture. So I would say Budapest, Hungary is my f- favorite city. Which begs the question, why, why am I not living there? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, a, lot of, a lot of why I came back to the U.S. is because of uh, business opportunities. So and that's part of lifestyle design, right? You got to be where the action is to make the moves that you need to make the moves, okay? I need to be because, – because I've been in the U.S., I've been able to do this documentary silenced, all right? Uh, I did Dave Rubin's show, which is good for my personal brand. I got to meet Gavin McInnes, who is a cool guy. did a show, which was a, a good for my personal brand, good for his brand, and I like him. So there, maybe another potential friendship, right? I've met a lot of cool people. You got to be in the mix, right? You're – your lifestyle and your vision, they have to be aligned. So if my lifestyle is whatever, right? What is it? It's got to be where I can make moves for my vision. What's my vision? Building danger play, getting that message out, getting the message of guerrilla mindset out, getting people unfucked, unfucking people's minds, right? Getting people to just live a real life, to live happy, to reject slavery, a lot of women listen to this now. A lot of men, you know, mostly men, but a lot of women too. A lot of women um, have, share my stuff to their sons, right? So we're we're making an impact bigger than I ever could have thought. Well, to do that, if I'm in Budapest, I can't make that kind of impact because I'm kind of isolated. So opportunities to make big moves aren't going to be there. So because I'm in the U.S., I'm you know doing this documentary. I'm able to meet all these cool people. Anthony Kumia, he's going to be in my documentary on free speech. 
So that's why. So that's why that's why you'll never find the perfect place to live, right? I, I my perfect place to live is Budapest, but if I lived in Budapest, I wouldn't have opportunities to expand. So my lifestyle and vision would be misaligned. Do you understand? That's why life is complicated. But it's not. It's only complicated if you have a scarcity mindset and you complain about what you don't have wherever you live. I can, you know, wherever I live, I can say, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can focus on that. I could just say, all right, I'm back in America, I'm paying a massive amount of taxes. This is terrible. You know, uh, I, I got a letters from PPI. I got, had to do tax returns and all this shit, right? And I could focus on that, but I just focus on, dude, it's great. I live in America. I, ha- I have opportunities to meet people that are take things to the next level and working on films, books. This is great. But Budapest is still my favorite. I also loved Cape Town, South Africa. Oh my God. Did you ever look at my pictures of the, the Facebook photo albums, the beautiful nature? You could take this hike, which is a rigorous hike. There's two parts. One is one. They're both hard, but one is quite rigorous. You climb up, you have views of the ocean. So you got ocean views while you're up in the mountains. Talk about meditative, right? Talk about Zen. Cape Town, very beautiful. But Cape Town, still safe. If you, if you ever want to go, don't believe the media hype. Go to Cape Town. Johannesburg, the other parts of South Africa, is getting dodgy. So I would encourage you to visit Cape Town, South Africa. Don't go to Johannesburg. And visit Cape Town while you can because there is a lot of – you know, you can't really talk about this, but there's a lot of racism against white people. And anybody who doesn't believe it, all right, go to um, Paris. Live in Paris like I did, right? I live there. And I can tell you what I experienced and 8,000 Jews left Paris last year. Why? Because they're getting beat up, man. So they, they flee to Israel now. Media doesn't report this kind of stuff. Why? Well, because there's all these narratives, right? So there's there's – we're told anti-Semitism is a huge problem in America. Well, not really, right? Some kids on the internet post little cartoons with swastikas. That, that's what triggers people now. Oh, anti-Semitism is bad. Okay, well, but if it's Muslims in France who are driving out Jews, and you're telling us we should have this huge Muslim population come in from America as refugees or else we're bad people. Well, wait, isn't aren't the Muslims more anti-Semitic against the Jews than Supposedly the Goyim are. Oh no, but, but that's Islamophobic, right? See how, see how f- fucking retarded the, the the media is now. Just how stupid it is. There's no, there's no like consistent theme. They just pick. Oh, we don't like them. The truth is, there's a lot of hatred for white people. It's just reality and whatever, man. So you travel, go to Cape Town while you can. Go to Cape Town while it lasts. Go to Paris while it lasts. Paris is falling. Go enjoy it, man. Next question is, what is my take on organ meat? That's a weird question. Um, Grass-fed liver full of B12. If you like it, eat it. Um, I don't know. Uh, Next question, how do you feel about nootropics such as medafinil? I wrote about it at dangerplay.com. Life hit, hint, life hack. You want to become a life hacker? Like all those guys, I'm a life hacker. Whatever your question is for stuff like this, just type in Modafinil, Danger and Play. Modafinil, Mike Cernovich. I, I've written about everything, guys. That's why my people are like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like when you ever mention anything political. Okay, great. I've written about everything. Modafinil, TRT, HGH, anabolic steroids, 
meeting women, uh, bedroom techniques, emotional connections with people, charisma, building friendships with people. I've talked about freaking the five languages of love, right? Which I don't think anybody would ever expect from me. Ayahuasca, psychedelics. Okay, and I'm not picking on you, Mr. Abadle, for asking me about medifinal. I'm just sort of, I use that as a segue to kind of call out people who complain scarcity mindset i've i've written about everything so if you don't like a podcast you know get over yourself and read about everything else i've written about and i and i write so much people can't keep track of it i write so much that i don't know what i wrote people bring up things oh i really liked what you wrote about that i don't even remember because i write and i move on so medafinal is all at danger and play uh, Brooke Robinson asked, what would you say are three prerequisites for happiness? I covered that in the happiness podcast yesterday or my previous podcast. The big thing would be, you know, you got to eliminate the background noise. That means lifestyle design. You, if, you're, if your life is full of background frustrations, you're going to have a lot harder time being happy because you're going to be frustrated all day and you're going to be trying to, okay, I'm in a bad mood because I'm around shitty people. Okay, okay, okay. Better mindset. Okay, okay, my mindset's right. Now I'm going to, oh, but the people, oh, my boss is micromanaging me and I eat a bad diet. So I feel toxic and inflamed and I don't go to the gym. So I don't have enough endorphins in my body and I don't have good blood flow, but I'll overcome with mindset. I'll overcome with mindset, right? You don't want to be like that. Design your lifestyle right. Get your fucking life right. We always say to people, get your mind right. Get your mind, get your life right. Don't be around fucking idiots. Don't be around toxic people. I don't care if they're your family, they're your friends. I don't care. Don't tell me that. I'm not I don't care. I've cut out people, family, friends, doesn't matter if they're toxic. So I don't I don't want to hear the, any excuses. Design your lifestyle right. I'm not saying you got to be some ripped hot fitness model. I mean, hell for me, I found out that dieting really intensely and being really lean made my life worse because then I'm always tracking macros and tracking calories and, oh shit, I blew my diet today and I better, you know, it became a distraction. So you might find out, you know, that being super lean isn't even part of, part of your life, right? It isn't even what you want to be to take your life to where you want to be. But you got to figure it out for yourself. Trial and error, which is another question. How do you know if you're quitting? Because I advise people to quit, if you're not going to be great at something, if you can't be world-class, quit, move on to something else. How do you know, this is from Teflon Don, how do you know if you don't have the talent or if you're just not trying hard enough? I, I've talked about this before. If you've been doing something for, say, three, six months and a new guy comes in within a couple months or a couple weeks, it's like rising above you, you don't have it. You don't have that it factor. This is especially true in any kind of athletics or combat sports, jiu-jitsu, boxing. If you're thinking, I want to be a UFC and I want to be you know, world champ, you go to the gym and you're getting pretty good. You're getting some competency and then a new guy comes in and then after a couple months, he's just giving you hell. You don't have it. Now, that doesn't mean you know everybody loves the Rudy story, the, the Cinderella story, the story of the man who overcame all odds and despite having no genetic potential, became the one. Yeah, great. And there's also a million people who never overcame the odds. So you want to play the odds and, and do the probabilities. It, it, if you don't have that it factor, you're going to know because people will come up above you and smash you. Then you realize, okay, it's that way whenever, in everything in life. You'll just know. And then when you realize that, all right, man, try something else. And then eventually what will happen is through trying a bunch of things, you know, 
Scott Adams calls it the talent stack. I call it the mental model of the world. Same principle. If you get pretty good at a bunch of different things, those will combine into this like synergy to this like RPG character where you have X charisma. You know, I played Final Fantasy VII when I was in high school. You know, this character has you know ten strength, two magic, you know, fifty charisma or whatever. That's the that's the I don't know who that would be. I think charisma would would have more magic. But the point is, you, you you develop different traits. So I have, I'm a good speaker. I'm not a great speaker. I'm a good writer. I'm not a great great writer. And I'll thank you. Some of you are going to say, Mike, you're wrong. You're a great great writer. I have a great message that I communicate clearly. But I'm not George Orwell. I've read the great essays. I'm not George Orwell. I'm a good speaker. I'm not Chris Hitchens. All right, and I'm okay with that. But if you're a good speaker. You're a good writer. You're good at tech or even just like me, pretty good at tech. You're good at sales. I'm not great at sales. I'm good at sales. Well, suddenly that's what I do for a living, right? You you put things together and then you realize, okay, well, I'm not going to be the world's greatest public speaker, but I can talk. I can talk well. All right, boom, podcast. Okay, I'm not going to write books like George Orwell did, but hey, I can write a fucking mindset book because I can communicate things clearly. Okay, boom. There you got that. Oh, I'm not great with tech, you would, you know, but hey, I can put a put a thing together, website. I'm not great at graphics design, but I'm pretty good. I know what kind of like what a picture looks like and what it should look like and how to take a good picture. Okay. Boom. I'm not a photographer. So do you see you might not even be world class at one thing, but when you put everything together and that what Scott Adams calls a talent stack, now you're world class. I am world class at what I do. Find somebody doing what I do better than I do. You can't. You can't. You simply can't. But I was just good at a bunch of different things, but I was never great at anything. So if you're like, what is Mike great at? Very, very hard to say, right? Very hard to say. I'm great at maybe connecting with people, but I connect with people through all these different mediums. Do you understand? So even if you're not you know, world class, like let's say you do jiu-jitsu and you're not ever going to be in the UFC. Eh, good, but if, if you're able to handle yourself in a street fight – well, that'll make you better with women. What? How? That'll make you better. How will that make you? Because it gives you composure. It's a vibe. If you can walk down the street and you have situational awareness and you know that if a danger happened, you could smash the guy in the face. Well, if you're on a date, a woman's going to get that feeling. You know, she's going to get that vibe that she's with a strong man and women want to feel protected and safe. So you're thinking, oh, I keep, my dream of being in the UFC is over. By the way, I never, I never had a dream of being in the UFC. I knew I wouldn't be good enough, but. I still trained. It was fun. So you you still, right? That's a part of your talent stack. So my talent stack, if you looked at me in terms of like dating, um, you know, physically fit, you know, some good musculature, I would need to get a lot leaner if I were going back on the market because then you got to send them, you know, hot selfies to the girls and uh, good speaker, good persuader, good writer, all that shit, right? Makes you better at meeting women. Now, you might not think that, but just think about it. If you can write well, if you can communicate clearly, if you have a strong mindset, then are women going to be bored with you? No. See, that's why I never really related with a lot of people who write on the air. And, eh, I went, you know, went on a great date. She flaked on me next time. Well, you, you weren't compelling because I had the opposite problem. I couldn't get rid of them. I would just be like, oh, God, you know, get away from me. And a lot of them would become obsessed with me. And these were very – 
much younger, 10, 15 years younger, beautiful women. Why? Because I was a compelling package. Why? Because I had that masculine composure that comes from getting your face punched a few times, from you know being on a jiu-jitsu mat, from overcoming obstacles. You, you learn how to write, and then you develop that sort of command, you know, the army you talk about, command mindset. I didn't, you know, I didn't ask girls out. I would be like, you're coming here. Here's what you're going to do. Wear something this, wear that, be cute. So when you have that, which is completely unrelated to dating, then it translates to dating. And I even did do a video on that, uh, the difference between mindset and meeting girls. That's why I quit talking about meeting women, because if you do what I tell you to do in Gorilla Mindset, you live a fantastic lifestyle, you live a hard lifestyle, you have a strong mindset, you believe in yourself, you don't need that many tips on women. Now, sure, there, there is a little bit to persuading women is a little bit its own little niche, but it isn't a big niche. Persuading women is like 10% of persuasion. If you have your basics right, carries over easily to women. Because two, if you don't get emotionally abundance mindset, you know, and if you don't get emotionally shaken, you know, if women can't show up, dude, you know, who cares? You're just... You're, you're hitting leads, right? You're making moves all the time. If you're rolling on momentum, you don't have to pretend anything with girls. Oh, how do I make this girl think that I'm – forget her. You just forget her names because you're talking to so many. Why are you talking to so many? Because you, you have an abundance mindset. You see opportunity everywhere. You're talking to girls everywhere. It all, it all carries over. That's why I don't talk about women. And that led into the question a guy asked, what's your opinion on the PUA stuff? I, you know, The PUA stuff is this is why I just got – my personal brand completely away from it. It is – I couldn't believe it when I knew it. And then I realized why people make fun of pickup artists. They would say you need to go five nights a week and cold approach women for five hours. And I did the math and I go, wow, a lot of these people are fucking real losers. You know, I get why they're called losers. You you have 25 hours a week to just go talk to complete strangers, complete women? Are you, what the hell are you, you're not running life. You're not doing life well. I don't have five hours. And how am I, if how am I going to take five hours tonight and go talk to women? You know, even if I'm single, even if, even if I weren't, you know, how, how am I going to find that time? I'm too busy living life, man. I don't have time for that shit. And that's when you realize, yeah, because they teach you that your whole life has to be designed around cold approaching women. How about your whole life is designed around going to the gym, getting your mindset right, living a, a good life building your businesses, uh, training, doing martial arts, reading, becoming literate, becoming a scholar, understanding literature. How about you spend your time doing that? And then when you go meet women, sure, you got to understand that women aren't like men. They're not logical like men. They're indirect, unlike men. So a lot of times when they like you, you don't know that they like you. So yeah, there is something to it, but that should take you like an hour a day. The rest of your day should just be killing the game of life, murdering the game of life. And then you won't, you, you know, then you won't know what to do with yourself because then they, they approach, they approach you actually. All right. We're getting close to the half hour mark. So I'm going to cut this off before your attention spans fall off. We'll do one more question. Is there a line between being audacious and being foolish? Well, good question. What is the line between bravery and stupidity? It's a good question. It's also a pussy question, and here's why. The problem for 99.9% of people isn't that I just took too many risks in my life. Boy, I just really – I woke up and I took charge of life, and I saw opportunities, and I took every opportunity presented, and these were just bad opportunities, and I ruined my life. That is that's a, it, it is really kind of like a loser question. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's a, not a doer question. 
Because uh, if you do, if you do, you don't ask these kinds of questions because you realize, yeah, there is a line, but that isn't going to be your problem in life. Your problem in life isn't that you were too audacious, you were too bold, you took too much charge of life. That's not the problem people have. The problem people have is they sit around on the internet forums all day, um, especially men debating bullshit or arguing over bullshit, not taking opportunities or rationalizing why they won't do something or why something won't work or talking themselves down. That is the real problem people have. Um, I've made some mistakes in life, surely. I have been foolish because momentum, right? You have momentum and you just keep pushing harder and harder and harder. And then you realize, oh, okay, uh, I crossed the line a little bit there. That's why you got to limit your downside. You'll learn in any kind of negotiation or any kind of move. You, 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 know, you want to take big moves, but if it has a huge downside, then you don't want to take it. But that isn't the problem people have, okay? That's what questions like that actually kind of annoy me because it is a question that says, I don't take chances in life. I just ask questions on the internet all day. No, your problem isn't going to be that you're not hitting it, that you're not being bold and audacious. and That's not your problem. Your problem is you're sitting on the internet all day debating bullshit rather than taking charge of life. But to answer the question, for those of you who do take risks and are, you know, are wondering, you, you always want to make sure that you limit your downside in some way. And limiting your downside could take on like any kind of forms. A, a great example would be relationship, sex, women, okay? So sexually... A lot of things that I've done I don't write about because it could be interpreted in a way that would be negative towards me, even though the girls love it, you know, everybody had a good time. All right, but I had a high level of social awareness, so I understood what I was doing. But if I told you, Oh yeah, if a girl does this, she really wants you to like keep pushing, well, if you keep pushing, that's audacity, which women love and reward. The downside is if you read it wrong. And she's not feeling it. Well, now you're a rapist. Okay, that's a real big downside. So, you so you realize okay that there's a huge downside. The upside is okay. Maybe you know this chick will be really into this. The downside is like she's not happy. You're not happy. It's just a bad scene. Okay, so maybe you you know you chill, chill a little bit. You take a step back. Make sure the vibe. Make sure you really understand that vibe. Make sure you really understand that. You know, there, there's a little role playing going on, right? Maybe you learn better communication. You know, you it's important with women. Communication is matter with women, but not in the ways that most people think. You don't sit around talking about your feelings to a woman, but sexually, you want to make sure that yeah, you understand. Like, no, she really like likes it crazy. Okay, cool. Make sure you, you understand that you get that out. Because if you don't, the downside of being audacious and being sexual aggressive is. <laughs> Real, real bad. It's a real low downside, okay? The downside of, hey, you know, I'm just going to show up to where, you know, I want a job. I'm just going to show up to where the, the guy's favorite bar, sit down next to him and order a drink, talk to him. What's the downside? He looks at you like you're an idiot. Okay. Th there's no downside to that. That's an audacious move. I've stalked, um, never stalked a woman, but I've stalked men, so to speak, who like I wanted to be involved with or wanted to know what they were up to. I'd Google them, find out what they liked. I would clip out. This is back when people read books and magazines. If I read about such and such guy and I knew he was into a certain topic and I read an article on that, I would I'd cut it out and I would say, put a sticky pad on it. Hey, thought about you, Mike. Fold it up, send it off. You think that got results? Yeah. Now, some people could say that's creepy. 
Not really, because why? I just sent the guy an article to help him live. This is before he could just forward things on email. But it's still audacious. Not a lot of people did it. The guy actually told me nobody had ever done that before. He wasn't sure how to take it, but he liked it. Okay, what's the downside? The downside is I look like a weirdo. Okay, big whoop. That's not a big downside. The upside is, hey, I made a big connection with the guy, actually, and the connection worked for me Worked for me well, actually. This was what really got me into a lot of this persuasion, NLP, this real deep you know, voodoo stuff, was because I was a little bit creepy. All right. That's how you do it. That's how you balance between too audacious versus being foolish. What is the downside? Uh, audacity, you know, I'm going to go put all of my money into a business. Well, okay, if you're 25, 30, single, cool. But if you've acquired, if you're like me, I would not put all of my money into a business, period. End of story. What happened? Even if the business could potentially make me a billionaire. Why? Because, you know, I'm thinking about children and all that stuff. So I'm a little bit more conservative now in life. The downside of, of losing all of my money, that's a pretty big downside. Now, I could rebuild a course, but then I'm, you know, but that's not where I want to do. It's not what I want to do. So you got to look at the downside. You got to find ways to limit it. There are all kinds of ways to limit it and law. Just like, for example, silenced. I, um, you know, I agreed to do the movie before I knew how the hell I was going to pay for it. I just said, that's audacious. Audacity is boom. Let's do this movie. Let's do it. We're going to do it. Now I, I knew the guy a little bit. I saw some of his work. It was it was a risky move. The guy actually was like, "Whoa, really?" I you know because everybody says they want to make a movie, and then when it comes time to do it, what happens? They pussy out. They pussy out. <laughs> so I just said, "All right, we're gonna do it, man. We're gonna do a movie. Okay, I'm committed. I'll pay you. You know, I'll make a. I'll pay you every month until um, I have it paid off." Then I went to bed and I was like, "Oh God, dude, how, what is wrong with you? You know, uh, you know." And I was like, "No, no, no," because I could. I figured I could do a Kickstarter. I could raise a little bit of money. I could limit my downside, right? All right, all right, all right. And this is a movie people really wanted to see. People were excited about. People wanted to back it. And next thing you know, I do a Kickstarter, which is fa fabulously successful. People got involved, and I didn't lie to the people on the Kickstarter. I didn't say I have to have your money or I will be bankrupt to do it. I just said, "No, this is a." big project. It's going to change the culture. It's going to change the world. And I want you involved in it and you want to be involved in it too, fully up front. And the people, those of you listening, people on Twitter, Danger Play, were like, yeah, we're, we want it. We want this project to be done. We want it to be done right. So there you go. So I took, I made an audacious move, but I didn't bet my entire net worth on it. And I found ways to kind of minimize it. So then the deal I made with the the Kickstarter was, hey, I'm not just some guy trying to take your money. It's like, no, like we, we're going to fund it. All your money will go to the cost. I'm not going to take a salary from it. So I'm not, you know, a lot of these Kickstarters, and I've helped fund some. You're like, where's this money going? You know, am I paying you to not to sit on your ass, or am I paying you to work on it? Which I'm not really cool with. I think if you're an artist, you should only, you know, use your product to, to pay the people that you have to that you have to pay to do the project. So I just said, I won't take a salary. So that was a fair trade. People were happy. So you see, I, I took an audacious move. I just met a guy. We were talking. I saw his work and I sought him out too. I said, you do great work. And because he had been involved in a little bit of internet drama, he had been publicly shamed for a lie. He had been lied. Gawker ruined his life actually. By, I don't like ruined his life. No, your life is only ruined if you, if you decide to let it be ruined. But Gawker 
made it so it was very hard for him to find a job because they lied about him. They told him they, they, they reported that he did things he didn't do. And what happened? Well, now he's an undervalued asset. This guy's worth way more than I paid him because why? Because people are stupid and they Google him and they read Gawker and they think Gawker is the truth. And they're like, well, I can't, you know, you might have drama with this. So great. I get a great deal on a guy who wants to do great art and I hire him. Audacious move. I just agree to fund it. But hey, I, I limited my own downside because I just said I just want to take a salary on it. I'll just so that you guys pull through. See, that's how you do it. All right. But again, again, we're going to end this way. Your problem in life isn't caused by you making too many audacious moves. Your problem is you're not making enough moves. And so I'm going to say about that. All right. Thanks for tuning in. You can post your comments at dangerandplay.com. This is Mike Cernovich from Danger Play and Gorilla Mindset.